Network Show right here on Nat 10 a.m. Superstation and Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, February 21st, 2022. And we are live. So the call in number is 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Okay, so today is the 50th anniversary. 7th anniversary of the assassination of uh, Malcolm X. And there's been a lot of articles uh, written today. I was looking at some different articles and some uh, some video clips, things of that nature uh, today. So we're going to uh, discuss this a little bit in the first uh, segment of the show. And there was a piece on uh, Democracy Now!, that I saw today, um, Yasser Shabazz, uh, one of the daughters of uh, Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz, was interviewed along with Benjamin Crump, attorney Benjamin Crump. And um, they, uh, the, the family of Malcolm X wants a uh, full investigation into um, exactly who killed uh, Malcolm X, all right? And uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump is representing the family. So we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit on today's show. And you know that uh, we talked about this um, back uh, in November of 2021 when when the news came out that uh, the two men who uh, for decades had been um, accused of had been accused of assassinating Malcolm and they went to prison okay um, when we got the news that they were going to be exonerated and New York Times had a big article on this dealing with Khalil Islam and Muhammad Aziz um, two men yeah, let me pull this up right here two men convicted in the Uh, killing of Malcolm X will be exonerated after decades. So this was shocking news when we got it. Uh, And there was always always, uh, doubt that these men um, were actually involved in killing Malcolm X. But when Cy Vance's office, um, district attorney there in uh, Manhattan, when Cy Vance's office opened the case and did the investigation, um, they turned up evidence that exculpatory evidence was withheld in their uh, trials. Okay, So we're going to talk about this a uh, little bit on today's show. You know, there's a good article from New York Times um, on this, and then also some good articles from the Washington Post as well as Huffington Post uh, also. All right, and then uh, on Sunday's show, I did not get a chance to get to um, this story. You know, we talked about the story out of Indiana, uh, Spronica Elementary School, and the counselor sent home, um, counselor sent home a, mission slip and it's regarding a black history month 
um, lesson, Black History Month lesson. And it gave the parents the option to opt out of the lesson. So we talked about this on Sunday's show and also talked about it Friday when I was on Roller March and Unfiltered. There was uh, another story that we really, really, really didn't get a chance to get to on Sunday's show. So we were talking about Kelton Potter getting only two years for killing uh, Dante Wright, uh, Brian Flores um, as well, uh, getting an uh, assistant coaching position with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But this article here from the New York Times we're going to talk about today, and there was a segment from the readout with Joanne Reed. I was going to play on yesterday's show, but did not get a chance to um, get to either. Teachers tackle Black History Month under new restrictions. Teachers tackle Black History Month under new restrictions. And this deals with the anti-critical race theory laws that have been passed so far in 14 states. And the type of um, stress that is causing and confusion is causing for uh, many teachers. In states where laws now limit classroom discussion of race and discrimination, many teachers are watching what they say and are more anxious about their jobs. Many teachers are watching what they say and are more anxious about their job. Okay? So we're going to talk about this. And there was a good uh, segment from the readout with Joanne Reed that deals with um, that deals with these uh, anti-critical race theory laws. Um, let's see, what's the name of this clip here? Uh, GOP continues to stoke rage, racialized cultural anxiety among whites for political gain. All right, there's a segment from uh, February 16th, but I did not get a chance to get to that. Okay. So, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's against your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you haven't thought about yourself, what you've been taught about yourself, based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. All right, uh, be sure to register for the online classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahapa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach them in school. And uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865-1968. Also want to remind you, I'll be on a panel discussion on Wednesday, February 23rd, uh, that's uh, organized by, uh, the, uh, by uh, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Uh, uh, Michigan State Organization Social Action Committee of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have the information on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This is a, uh, a webinar. It's a virtual uh, a panel dealing with reparations. We have the link on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, where you can register for it. It's free to attend, uh, February, Wednesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, uh, I want to jump into this first story. We're coming up here on a break. Also, we'll talk about um, the home in eastern Michigan where Malcolm X uh, used to live with his brother Wilfred. Um, 
back in the 1950s, uh, that is that gets listed on the National Register of Historic Places also. Okay, we'll talk about that as well. Now, uh, we're coming up here on a break. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on Nash and AM Superstation Future Radio. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number. If you have a question or comment, we'll be back in a few minutes. Mental health and well-being health. It is Monday, February 21st, 2022. 57th uh, commemoration, 57th anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X. The Audubon Ballroom. February 21st, 1965. We're going to clip number one, Shakita. Okay, so today on uh, Democracy Now!, they uh, interviewed uh, Yasser Shabazz and also Benjamin Crump. Uh, and they're calling for the family of Malcolm X. It, it, we know that Yasser is one of Malcolm and Dr. Betty Shabazz's daughters. Um, the family of Malcolm X is calling for a, actually a, a congressional uh, investigation into Malcolm's assassination to get to the bottom of who actually killed Malcolm X, what was behind his assassination, they, to uh, get to it once and for all. We know that um, last year, we know that we got the uh, November uh, 2021 we know we got the uh, breaking news that the two men convicted of killing Malcolm X would be exonerated after decades. Okay, Khalil Islam and Muhammad Aziz. The 1966 convictions of the two men are expected to be thrown out. They were thrown out after a lengthy investigation validating long-held doubts about who killed the civil rights leader, Malcolm X. Two of the men found guilty of the assassination of Malcolm X are expected to have their convictions thrown out on Thursday. The Manhattan District Attorney and lawyers for the two men said rewriting the official history of one of the most notorious murders of the civil rights era. For decades, historians cast doubt. For decades, historians have cast doubt on the case against the two men, Muhammad Aziz and Khalil Islam, who each spent more than 20 years in prison. Their exoneration represents a remarkable acknowledgement of grave errors made in a case of towering importance. The 1965 murder of one of America's most influential black leaders. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, clip number one, Shakita, from uh, Democracy Now! This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. It was 57 years ago today, February 21st, 1965, when Malcolm X was assassinated on the stage at the Audubon Ballroom in New York City, not far from where we are. Malcolm's family is now calling for a federal probe into his murder in November. A New York judge exonerated two men who spent decades in prison after being wrongfully convicted in the assassination. 83-year-old Muhammad Aziz and Khalil Islam, who died in 2009. 
This came after the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the Innocence Project conducted a nearly two-year investigation that uncovered key evidence, which was, which was withheld at the trial of the two men. Speaking in November, then-Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance apologized in court to Aziz and the family of Islam. Vance also called out former FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. That's former Manhattan DA Cy Vance. He was muffled because he was wearing a mask. Mohammed Aziz, who was jailed for almost two decades, was recently interviewed by ABC News. People knew why you were there, that you were one of the men yeah. convicted of killing Malcolm. Were there threats because of that? To me? No. Yes, sir. The people know I didn't do it. Nobody ever thought I did it. Just like people. Our people never thought I did it. We're joined now by Ilyasa Shabazz, one of Malcolm X's six daughters, professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City, community organizer, motivational speaker, activist, and award-winning author of many books. Still with us, civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who is working with Malcolm X's family. Um, Ilyasa, first I want to say condolences on the recent death of your sister. Um, your family has gone through so much pain over the years, and now you're calling for a federal probe into your dad's assassination. Um, it's 57 years ago today. Talk about what you want to see. Well, you used a great word, animus. Um, we do want a federal uh, probe. You know, my father exposed police brutality across America to the world in the late 50s and 60s. And, you know, I think that enough is enough. We want to know who killed our father, who ordered the assassination, and, um, and we want to set the record straight. And the significance of these two men, um, Muhammad Abdulaziz, who's still alive, and Khalil Islam, who died years ago, both serving decades in prison, falsely convicted of the assassination of your father. That's right. Um, you know, again, we want to know who killed our father, and we want to um, make sure that it is properly recorded in history. So, Ben Crump, talk specifically about what you want Congress to do. Well, as really often said, we want Congress to help document the truth, uh, just as they did with the JFK Commission, the MLK Commission, and the RFK Commission. We want them to have a congressional panel empowered to do an investigation a complete investigation into who was responsible for planning the conspiracy to assassinate Malcolm X. We understand that 
based on these recent exonerations that you had not only the NYPD uh, Bureau of Special uh, Investigations involved, but you also had with the NYPD bossy the FBI involved to the very top, uh, to the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, filing the family deserves the truth of who killed their father. Their names need to be named. And the American society and the world deserve the truth as well. And we are prepared, Attorney Ray Hamlin and our legal team, to go through every legal uh, avenue possible to get to the truth for Malcolm X's family and to finally give them some measure of justice. Before we end, I want to get your comments on... Malcolm X. Okay, so that's from Democracy Now! uh, from uh, today. And if we look at it's a couple of quick things we want to look at here. New York Times highlights from the push to exonerate uh, two men and Malcolm X's killing. Um, Okay, so this is okay, uh, here's uh, Cyrus Garvance, who was the Manhattan uh, District Attorney. He retired. Uh, a motion to vacate convictions finds the crucial ev- finds that crucial evidence was withheld. Now, it's um, it's important to have this congressional uh, hearing, as as uh, ben- Benjamin Crump uh, just said. They did it for uh, the assassination of JFK. They did it for uh, his brother brother Bobby Kennedy. And this is one of the things that Congress does: is oversight. Okay, the Department of Justice. They have a role also, but Congress uh, does oversight. Congress does investigations. Now, I, I wanted to, he mentioned Jago, who we're going to come back to this here in just a second. I want to pull this one up also here. Um, so when all this news broke in uh, November 21, we talked about this here on this show, because we actually do a real substance here. Huffington Post had this article. HuffingtonPost.com had this article from, uh, they picked up from uh, the Associated Press, November 18, 2021. Hoover hid that some witnesses in Malcolm X assassination trial were FBI informants. Jagger Hoover, okay, director of the FBI. Hoover hid that some witnesses in Malcolm X assassination, Malcolm X assassination trial were, were FBI informants. A Manhattan judge exonerated two men convicted of killing uh, the revolutionary revolutionary leader after decades of doubt about who was responsible for his 1965 death. More than uh, more than half a, a century after the assassination of Malcolm X, two of his convicted killers were exonerated Thursday after decades of doubt. Uh, I'm going to go to this here. Okay. So, uh, if you scroll down here, they talk about um, evidence withheld. The recent investigation found uh, recent investigation found information in FBI files about witnesses who could not identify his, uh, uh, Khalil Islam and implicated other suspects. Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance, Jr., 
told the court. He was the district attorney at the time. He was the one who opened up this investigation into the case after the documentary came out on Who Killed Malcolm X on Netflix. All right. Now, the file shows that the late FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, ordered agents to tell witnesses not to reveal that they were informants when talking with police and prosecutors, uh, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance said. Quote, I apologize for uh, what was, I apologize for what was serious, unacceptable violations of law and the public trust. There is one ultimate conclusion. Uh, Mr. Aziz and Mr. Islam were wrongfully convicted of this crime, end quote. Okay, we're coming up uh, here on a break. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. And then we'll talk about um, how Black History Month is challenging, is very challenging this month, uh, uh, this, uh, this time around, because 14 states have passed anti-critical race theory laws, and teachers are tackling Black History Month under new restrictions. Teachers are tackling Black History Month under new restrictions. This to the After History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Summer. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelion, offers business bibles to record business processes and procedures. Their business bibles are their branded run-up show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business bible. It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. History Network show we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It is laws and policies that put in this predicament. It's only laws and policies that take us out. So we control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. Church accomplish of his or her actions because the mind can't do what teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910 The Superstation. Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the After History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation Detroit Radio. All right, uh, be sure to visit our website, AfterHistoryNetwork.com, and be registered for the 
online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. On Saturdays is uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahafa. Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahafa. Understand the transatlantic slave trade that we did teach in the school through the thousands of years of history. What leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We also deal with the African presence in the Americas dating back tens of thousands of years ago, even before Native Americans came into existence. So I do the class live uh, Saturday, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. The class is on sale $80, regularly $130. As soon as you register, you can watch the class for this, through this past weekend. On Sundays, I teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Also, next class is Sunday, February 27th. Uh, we have a bundle pack. You can register for both classes for uh, only $120. The classes are $130 each. And uh, once you register for the class, you can watch it as much as you want to. Even a year from now, you can go back and watch the entire course. Okay? So you should have full access to it. All right. Now, uh, let's see. Tuesday morning, I'm speaking for Tech Town. And they sent me the information. Now, we're going to get it up on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, they said the flyers in here somewhere, uh, so I guess it is. But uh, this is dealing with uh, preparing uh, black-owned businesses for success, preparing black-owned business consultants for success. This is taking place uh, Tuesday, February 22nd, 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. It's all virtual. You can watch from anywhere. It's free to attend. Uh, celebrate Black History Month. Uh, it's a new conference, February 22nd. We'll prepare uh, black-owned businesses for success. Now, Maggie Anderson who wrote the book, uh, Our Black Year, I think it's Our Black Year, Maggie Anderson, she's the keynote speaker, uh, preparing, uh, so this is Tech Town Detroit, and our partners present a virtual business conference celebra celebrating Black History Month, preparing black-owned businesses for success, Tuesday, February 22nd, 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You'll get the information on our website, africanhistorynetwork.com. Also at techtowndetroit.org, uh, techtowndetroit.org, they should have the information there as well, okay? All right, we're going to post a link here on the thread of our broadcast here, and we'll put it on the homepage of africanhistorynetwork.com uh, also. Okay, l let's go back to uh, the story. We're, we're going to clip two here in just a second, Shakita. All right, uh, this other article that I wanted to uh, get to, is is okay yeah we did that one from uh new york times highlights uh this was the day that the two men were exonerated highlights from the push to exonerate two men in malcolm x's killing okay november 18 2021 new york times all right so check that out also motion to vacate convictions finds that crucial evidence was withheld um here, this defendant, the motion includes a host of new witnesses. The motion includes a host of new findings. It mentions an interview with a new witness uh, with initials J.M. conducted only days after the reinvestigation began. J.M. said he was answering the telephone at the Nation of Islam's Harlem Mosque the day of the assassination and that his account backed up the alibi of Mr. Muhammad Aziz. Uh, who said he was not involved in the, in the killing of Malcolm X. J.M. recalled receiving a phone call from Aziz at around 3 p.m. on February 21st, informing him 
that uh, Muhammad Aziz had just heard Malcolm X had been shot, the motion says. J.M. then hung up and went to get the mosque captain, and together the two men called Muhammad Aziz back at his home. J. Quote, J.M. reached Muhammad Aziz at home and told him the captain would speak to him. The, uh, end quote, the motion says a simple sentence that lends credence to Muhammad Aziz's story that he was at home at 3 p.m. when Malcolm X was shot. Okay, this was left out of the trial. This was left to, this was information that was suppressed. A trove of comments from law enforcement, the motion details more than a dozen reports compiled by the FBI and NYPD that were not disclosed to the defense, to the defense of, of, the, of the men accused of assassinating Malcolm X several of which point toward the men's innocence. The FBI, the FBI reports contain the accounts of several witnesses who describe of gunmen who do not resemble the two men, as well as details about agency informants who were present in the Washington Heights ballroom where Malcolm X was killed. Okay? All right. Um, okay, and also... Uh, well, the police department documents include descriptions of undercover detectives having been present in the ballroom, at least one of whom was there at the time of the murder. The report may have been referring to Detective Gene Roberts, an undercover officer, who it later came out was working as a member of Malcolm X's security detail. He was African-American also, Detective Gene Roberts. All right. So check out these articles here from... Um, Washington Post and New York Times and Huffington Post in uh, Democracy Now! as well, okay? All right, I want to go to uh, this next story here. We just talked about this very briefly on yesterday's show. We're going to clip two, Chiquita, uh, from uh, the readout here in just a second. So, African American History Month, Black History Month this year is causing anxiety for many teachers because of laws that have been passed in the state legislature, scores of states that pass laws limiting how race and discrimination can be taught in schools. We have uh, a total of 35 states that are proposing some type of, uh, some type of restriction on uh, what can be taught also. All right, now, uh, in states where laws now limit classroom discussions about race and discrimination, many teachers are watching what they say and are more anxious about the job. Now, this is a piece from uh, about their jobs. This is an article from February 12, 2022 from uh, the New York Times, and it deals with different uh, teachers in different states. They talk about New Hampshire, Hispanic teacher uh, in New Hampshire took down the Black Lives Matter sign in her classroom. In Lubbock, Texas, a social studies teacher felt that candid political discussions with students were becoming, uh, quote-unquote, kind of like a tightrope. And in Oklahoma City, a history teacher uh, began to think twice about using the word white to describe people who who defended slavery. In February 2022, public school teachers, well, in February, public school teachers traditionally uh, traditionally shaped lessons around Black History Month 
but this year, educators in several states are handling their classes a bit more gingerly. Republican-led legislatures in several states have passed laws, uh, passed laws last 2021 to ban or limit schools from teaching that racism is infused in American institutions. And while students in those states are still learning about activists like Ida B. Wells and Claudette Colvin, and um, and eras like re- eras like Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, and the Civil Rights Movement, some teachers are also exercising a quiet restraint. Uh, I want to go to this clip here from uh, the readout to Joanne Reed from February 16, uh, 2022. And they talked about um, uh, the GOP keeps soaking um, white rage. Okay, the GOP keeps soaking white, white rage, and they talked about um, critical race theory as well. Let's go to this clip, Steve. the readout tonight with fighting fire with fire. The Republican Party, which is apparently consolidated around the idea of presenting no ideas, no policies, just resentment in order to drive out more of its base and kind of retake power in Washington and around the country, importantly, without having to broaden that base in this midterm election year, is continuing its strategy of stoking rage and racialized cultural anxiety among white parents political game. Take Texas, which has already criminalized the teaching of the right's favorite current boogeyman, critical race theory in the 1619 Project in public grade schools. But after professors at the University of Texas resolved to defend the right of college professors to teach about America's racial history, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said that he wants to extend the purely theatrical ban on the thing that isn't even taught below law school to public universities, noting behind his Liberty Institute at UT Austin. But the real fights over education are at the K through 12 level, where we've seen conservative, mainly conservative, white parents whipped up into a frenzy over mask mandates and lessons on race and gender and sexuality. And it's leading to terrifying real-world consequences. A Reuters investigation details death threats and other harassing messages to school board members, including a letter sent Loudoun County, Virginia board member and addressed to one of her adult children. It threatened to kill them both unless she resigns. The school board wars are happening all over this country. And again, it's not the grassroots effort that Republicans would have you believe. Dateline, Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, pa- pause it right there. We'll come up with a break. It's hard for me to believe that I have to say that. Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Abundant Capital is a real estate investment company with over 20 years of experience in real estate that specializes in two areas of real estate. One, to solve real estate problems with creative financing solutions that give the seller the most money for their property. And two, they show individuals how to get a higher rate of return on their investment capital real estate note investment. If you are looking to sell or lease or sell your property, here is what they provide. Market value offer, either if you have little or no equity, they typically pay 
suicide because they're doing this stuff because it works. Anxiety and anger are powerful motivators to vote. Try with it, too. And somehow Democrats are finally sounding the alarm. According to Politico, the Dems' campaign arm in the House is warning that unless the party forcefully confronts alarmingly potent, their word, attacks on things like CRT and policing, they risk losing major ground to Republicans in this year's midterm. And they add that these attacks are most effective with center-left voters, independents, and notably, Hispanic voters. The overarching message, don't ignore these attacks. Hit back with a strong rebuttal. Ron DeSantis is doing his own version of the Republican culture wars in his so-called free state of Florida, just throwing it all at the wall, from criminalizing Black Lives Matter protests to banning mask mandates in schools to his don't-say-gay bill, deeming LGBTQ topics as inappropriate for kids, while weaponizing the very idea of wokeness, which many white Americans embrace in the wake of George Floyd's murder. In Florida, that means DeSantis is attempting to legally prohibit public school teachers from teaching any lesson that might make white students, which is the implication, let's face it, feel discomfort about their race or gender. The group Equality Florida, which represents the interests of LGBTQ Floridians, is fighting back, however. Here is their latest act. is Nadine Smith, Executive Director of Equality Florida, and Matthew Dow, founder of Country Over Party and an MSNBC political analyst. Nadine, I want to start with you. Talk about these ads because they're, they're, they're very um, aggressive, and I actually think they're, they're really well-crafted in terms of messaging. What is the idea uh, behind putting these ads out there, and who are you trying to speak to? Well, you know, the message is really clear. What, despite Ron DeSantis' Orwellian use of free Florida, we actually advocate for our video cameras in classrooms, microphones on teachers, uh, surveilling every conversation between teachers and students, an invasion even into the uh, doctor's office between parents, uh, their doctor, their child when it comes to trans young people. And it is the opposite of freedom. It is about book banning. It is about silencing. It's about erasing history. And for us, it was important because I think no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, uh, it, there's a big difference between I'm not going to pay to see that comedian or go to that concert, that's me in the free market making decisions. But when the government says you can't read this book, you can't learn about these topics, uh, this even reaches into the workplace where, uh, for example, under the Stop Woke Act, uh, companies can be told or are being told that they can sue you if you have, for example, a sexual harassment prevention training that causes someone to say, hey, you know what, that made me feel uncomfortable, that made me feel guilty. And so what they are really trying to do is to censor, to police, to invade, and to surveil us in, in all of these ways. And I think people are starting to push back, and it's, and it's, uh, it's a message that, that resonates because these are the words coming out of the mouth of the governor. I want cameras everywhere. I want your conversations to be listened to. And it's already having a chilling effect. Even before these bills have made their way through the process, we are seeing books being taken off uh, bookshelves. We are seeing rainbow safe space, anti-bullying 
as to showing how Democrats polling about how to counter the Georgia attack on various issues, how to how to counter how to counter the GOP attack on various issues. The Democrats' own research shows that some battleground voters think that the Democratic Party is being weakened, judgmental and focused on personal according to documents and some solicitors. It's the Republicans that are focused on the culture. See, this is where you have to be very, very because one, if you look at Republican voting records, this is why Facebook.com.gov has all these bills that people say that they want. You can look up you can look up the bills at Congress.gov and you can see who voted for the bill and who voted against it. So if you're a member of the House of Representatives and your two members of the U.S. Senate keep voting for bills that you want and advocate for, why would you let them get voted out of office? Because most likely the person that's going to replace them, if it's a Republican, they're most likely going to vote against your own interests and vote against the bills that you advocate for. This is where we have to be strategic and, like, actually read. Now, in, in, in the party's House campaign, in the party's House campaign, Tom, had a sharp warning for Democrats. Unless they more forcefully confront the GOP's alarmingly potent culture war attack from critical race theory to defunding the police, they risk losing significant ground to Republicans in the midterm. Now, Democrats only have about a five or six seat uh, margin majority in the House. And it's a 50-50 time in the Senate. People keep talking about the George Floyd Death Center Policing Act. No Republicans voted for the damn bill. This is why if you go to congress.gov, you can look up George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, the 117th Congress. The bill passed the House of Representatives March 3rd, 2021, by voting 220 to 212. All the Republicans voted against the bill. And no Republicans helped write the damn bill. So I hear people keep talking about, we want this, we want that. They can't tell you how to get it. at Republican voting records, and all these bills are public knowledge, you can go and look and see who, who supported the bill, who wrote the bill, and look and see who voted for the bill, voted against the bill. Republicans overwhelmingly voted for all these bills that we say we want. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed the House of Representatives August 28, 2021, by a vote of 219 and 211. All the Republicans voted against the damn bill. And you're going to let them take back control of the House and the Senate? It's not even logical. They keep voting against their own issues. When, 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 the, when the vote happened in the, in, the, in the Senate, no Republicans voted for the Freedom to Vote Act, which was Joe Manchin's bill, or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. All 50 Republicans voted against the bill. You had 16 Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, who voted for the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act in 2006. All, all those 16 Republicans voted against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, even though they 
talk about how great John Lewis was and how much they missed him. Is you gonna let you gonna let these people take back control of the Senate? That's not even logical if you actually study the people. All these people you say you want that. That's not even logical. They keep voting the Republicans keep voting against the people. This is why we have to be more strategic. Your task is simple, Simon, to have people on social media have absolutely no clue what they're talking about, can't explain none of this. Current Republican senators who voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act in 2006. Mitch McConnell, South Carolina, you got Chuck Grassley of Iowa, Ricky Shelby, uh, Susan Collins of Maine, Richard Burr of North Carolina, uh, Senator John Inhofe. You got punk-ass Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, spineless Lindsey Graham, who, who attacks the $4 billion in debt relief for African-American farmers and Native American farmers and Latino farmers that was in the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. That, was th that part of the bill was put into the bill by people like Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia, who's up for re-election. No Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, even though some of, even though some some Republicans in the House are taking credit for how it helped save businesses in their district. They're taking credit for it. None of them voted for the bill, and they, they, and they didn't help fight the bill. That bill passed, I think it was March 6, 2021, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. You got John Cornyn of Texas, Marshall Blackburn of Tennessee, Roy Blunt of Missouri, okay, uh, Shelley Moore Capito, who's the other U.S. Senator from West Virginia with Bill Manchin, and she's a Republican. These are, these are the 16 Republicans who are in the Senate right now who voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act in 2006, and none of them voted for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or Joe Manchin's Freedom to Vote Act, because Joe Manchin says we can put together a voting rights bill and we can get Republicans to vote for it. None of them voted for it. Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCC, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, is recommending a new strategy to endangered members and their teams, hoping to blunt the kinds of GOP attacks that nearly erased their majority last election and remain a huge risk ahead of November. In presentations over the past two weeks, party officials and operatives use polling and focus group findings argue Democrats can't simply ignore the attacks. That's true. They can't just simply ignore the attacks. You got to deal with them head on. You have to confront them head on from critical race theory to parents' involvement in education to policing. You have to, you have to confront these head on. You can't allow Republicans to control the narrative because Republicans are going to run on uh, Democrats oppose defunding police, but defunding police wasn't even part of Democratic national strategy. That wasn't part of the Democratic platform defunding police. Yet Republicans are going to run on that. But Republicans even tried to sue Joe Biden as being for defunding police, which is is asinine. But these are the games that they're playing. Particularly when they're uh, uh, so in presentations over the 
officials and operatives use polling and focus group findings argue Democrats can't simply ignore the attack, particularly when they're playing at a disadvantage. A generic ballot of swing districts from late January showed Democrats trailing Republicans by four points according to the polling. It wasn't all bleak, though. The data shows that Democrats could mostly read a loss to Republicans if they offered a strong rebuttal to the political hit. When faced with the defund the police attack, for instance, the presenters encourage Democrats to reiterate their support for police. And on immigration, they said Democrats should deny support for open borders or amnesty and talk about their efforts to keep the border safe. If Democrats don't answer Republican hit, if Democrats don't answer Republicans in the party opposite war on, the GOP's lead on the generic ballot balloons to 14 points from 4 points. A dismal prediction for Democrats when the GOP only needs to win five seats. Yes, five seats to take back control of the House of Representatives. They'll need five seats. But when voters heard a Democratic response to that hit, Republicans' edge narrowed back down to six points, giving candidates more of a fighting chance, especially since those numbers don't factor in Democrats going on the offensive which they have to do, and they have to run on what they got accomplished, not what they didn't get accomplished. This is what President Obama told them when he just met with them in the last couple of weeks. $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, $1.3 trillion infrastructure bill. Okay, run, run, on, run on what you accomplished, okay, not what you didn't get accomplished. $46.5 billion for renters and rental assistance. Uh, child tax credits to cut child poverty by 40%. Now, they couldn't get it extended, but you can get it extended in 2023. If you go from 50 in the Senate to 55, then even if Joe Manchin votes against you, you still got 54 votes. Even if Kirsten Sinema votes against you, you got 53 votes. You can change the filibuster rule. You go from 50 in the Senate to 55, even if Manchin and Sinema defect, you can still change the filibuster rule to get a lot of these bills passed. And then get the George Floyd Just Compensation Act passed. Um, okay, let's go back to this. So this is why if you, this is why we have to build a strategy. Um, okay, let's take it up here. The big difference between I'm not going to pay to see that comedian or go to that concert, that's me. And what he actually advocates for are video cameras in classrooms, microphones on teachers, uh, surveilling every conversation between teachers and students, an invasion even into the uh, doctor's office between parents, uh, their doctor, and their child when it comes to trans young people. And it is the opposite of Thank you. 
um, the name of the article, Danny Brooks, a specialist to kill a mockingbird at the Denver Huckleberry Finn in the name of political correctness, etc. So he's watching this other thing that writes this piece. And um, but what they this is what they wrote, this is what the Washington Examiner wrote back in twentieth February eighteenth. During Black Danny Brooks, a specialist to kill a mockingbird in the adventures of Huckleberry Finn in the name of political correctness is absurd. But you have you have Republicans now pushing pushing to ban books because they say they make white children feel guilty. And they want to ban books dealing with books about racism and some books about the civil rights movement and Dr. King and those they talk about uh, talk about how uh, certain uh, books can uh, make white uh, white children feel guilty. But when it came to African American kids in 2018, they didn't care. Revising or this is what the Washington Examiner wrote: revising or erasing history, even artistic interpretations of time periods, does a grave disservice to the very students whose feelings they are trying to protect. So they're saying, so we're moving to kill a mockingbird, and we're moving the adventures of Huckleberry Finn from the classroom in African American children feeling um, uh, 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 feeling hurt by hearing the N word over and over again. They're saying ignore that, but when it comes to white children's feelings, they say, oh, we got to ban all these books because it can hurt white children. artistic interpretations of time periods does a grave disservice to the very students whose quote-unquote feelings they're trying to protect. So the argument on the right then is black kids must, must get used to hearing the N-word used colloquially and you need to suck it up and accept that. But white kids can't even learn that the people who enslaved people were white and the enslaved were black because that will make them sad. Unpack that for us. Well, you know, it's society and that white Christian males, you know, you think about this, for 150 years, white Christian males held 99% of the power positions of America, for 150 years. Then for the next 75, white Christian males held 90% of the power positions in America. Today, that number is 80%, and white Christian males represent 28% of the country. And so it's not as if anybody is saying, no, 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 you only get 
midst of this, and I think I fault the Democrats in the in this battle to a degree, because Republicans have launched a culture war. They don't like what the country is becoming, and the Democrats think they can win that culture war by talking about Build Back Better or by talking about you know what are we going to do about inflation. When you're in a culture war, when somebody launches a war at you, you have to launch a war back at them about what kind of culture you believe in. Do you believe in a Present a, a opposite side culture, a culture that believes in everybody's dignity, that respects all, that believes that all men and women are created equal. That the Democrats have to get a hold of this and not shy away and say, let's not talk about this. They have to present and win. If we're going to be an American and American democracy that's multicultural, Democrats and all of us have to win the culture war in a presentation of what America should be in the 21st century and why that's a better vision. Let me begin and confess I need your healing I made a friend of the fear I have been feeling And I believed The lies that spoke That led me into doubts But I'm calling on your angel arms Now Fear is not welcome Fear is not welcome Fear is not welcome in Shall I? 